G'day punters, welcome back to the Exotic Punters podcast. Special guest on the podcast this week, Chris Blomley from CB Bloodstock. Chris, thanks for joining us, mate. No problem, Angus. G'day, Darby. G'day, Chris. How are you going? Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. No worries, no worries. Um, so, obviously, you're a bloodstock agent. That's your profession. Um, so, just for our listeners who don't really know what a bloodstock agent is, could you just sort of give us some insight into what you do and, and what the job involves? Uh, so, I suppose um, to overview of the, of the whole role is, is sort of a conduit between the people and the industry. Um, and in that, you uh, there's various things that you do, but you facilitate business, be it through purchasing horses at sales, brokering private deals, arranging matings for mares, um, you know, selling stock that uh, people want to sell privately. Um, you know, you sort of have a little toe in every aspect of the industry, um, and hopefully, you can be the bridge to bring it all together and. Um, contribute to the industry ticking over, I suppose. Yeah, what goes into that? Um, so you went to school at St. Joey's in Geelong, then you studied business at RMIT in Melbourne. Uh, what got you into the racing industry? Uh, my family background was um, a little bit horsey. Um, uh, my grandparents and uh, my uncle in particular had horses which um, on the farm, which we were always around. Uh, the races were a Saturday sort of uh, fixture in our family. Um, and I sort of probably gravitated towards a few mates at school who were in the, in the same boat. Um, and then uh, I suppose, uh, you know, I liked it through high, I had a passion for it through high school, but it sort of really sort of developed at about uni age. Um, obviously uh, being of age to be able to go and, and enjoy the full aspect of the races, being able to bet and have a beer or, um, or what, what have you, um, sort of drew me in more and more. And uh, eventually I decided um, that uh, with all those factors put together, it was probably a, a good career path for me. Yeah, it's interesting. That's interesting. Um, so obviously in the past, you spent time working overseas um, in New Zealand yep. and, and obviously then you went over into the UK at Newmarket as the Australian representative. Um, yep. What was that experience like? I'm sure that you would have worked so much out of that. Yeah, it was amazing. I was there for five years. I'd come from England um, where I was in Sydney um, after having worked at uh, Sweatham Stud uh, for Adam Sangster. And Adam put me in touch with Johnny McKeever. Um, and I went up there and uh, I suppose Newmarket's the mecca for guys like like us and um, just seeing the different ways they did things, um, the the sort of pull of uh, European breeding to all parts of the world as well, it just sort of opened up more opportunities. Um, and uh, yeah, like it was it was fantastic. So you mentioned uh, being able to work with uh, world renowned bloodstock agent Johnny McKeever. What were you able to learn from that experience? Um, not only working with him, but also being overseas um, at Newmarket in the UK, which is you know, the home of racing over there. Uh, in terms of um, the horses and racing itself, I suppose the biggest thing that I learned was, um, you know, there's different ways to skin a cat. You, their training methods are 
completely different to what we might uh, traditionally train here. Um, sort of more of a relaxed attitude to training, which I suppose a lot of um, the present day trainers are sort of trying to uh, mirror to a degree with their, you know, training at the beach or private properties and having that more relaxed sort of atmosphere for horses rather than the hustle and bustle of on-course training in the city. Um, in terms of what Johnny taught me, like, there's too much to really list. He, um, he's obviously exceptional at his job. He's an exceptional judge of a horse. Um, and he's got experience all over the world. So um, his networks has been, um, you know, it's been great. And um, Johnny and I still sort of work together on a few things and catch up. And um, obviously uh, he comes down here a lot and I go up there once once a year, sometimes twice. And, um, yeah, like I couldn't really thank him enough for the opportunity, to be honest. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, having an eye for a horse. Um, so when you go to these sales, uh, we'll start with the yearling sale. What exactly are you looking for in a horse um, when you're going to the sales? Uh, I suppose, uh, firstly, you're looking for confirmation. Um, I hate to sort of look on the negative, but you are looking to take some faults out, which take sort of risk out of out of the game. Um, you know, like it's a it's a difficult sport to succeed at, so risk mitigation has to be a large part of that. Um, so just looking at the general confirmation of the horse and um, I suppose the angles, and, and it's not a perfect science. Um, nature helps horses cope with certain things and, and, and you know, I wish I win is probably the best example at the moment of a horse that uh, wouldn't have been selected by many judges but can obviously gallop very, very fast. Um, so, but... It, so we're looking for angles of joints, um, muscle quality, I suppose, and uh, and athleticism comes into it too. So uh, if we, you know, if a horse looks naturally athletic, um, hopefully that can equate to speed, um, and the disposition of the horse as well. Um, we want uh, horses to be trainable, um, and um, a pleasure to work with for the people that, and, and you know, they're going to go to work for the next three, four, sometimes five years. Uh, you mentioned in the past, um, obviously, you know, the differences between the UK and Australia in the racing industry, I suppose. What are some of those differences that, that you found, um, obviously spending a lot of time in both places? Uh, well, the, the training, uh, they do a lot of uphill training, particularly in Newmarket. That's effectively what it's famous for, um, with gallops at either end of the town. Uh, which, um, you know, they're, they're reasonably famous in the industry. Um, the horses stay in work most of the year. They, they don't really spell horses in Europe. Um, so that's another uh, big difference. Um, and then it, it's a sort of country atmosphere, which I suppose places like Ballarat and, and so forth are mirroring now, but um, probably 10 years ago, whatever, when I moved up there, most guys are still, most of the big guys are still at Caulfield or Flemington or, you know, and it's, they still are in Sydney, Ramwick, Warwick, Warwick Farm, etc. Um, so that was a, a big eye-opener. Um, the horses themselves are quite different physically as well. Um, as, as racing fans will know, we've 
sort of gone to Europe and tried to find stamina uh, through imports that way. And and they the horses do look different. They they can quite often stand over a bit more ground. They've got greater length. Um, they can be a bit more sort of refined and elegant sort of animals in in a lot of cases. Um, and sometimes they're um, lovely fluent movers. Is uh, is much more prevalent up there, I would suggest. But not to say that Australian horses aren't good movers, but uh, that that big overstep doesn't always equate to speed, which our industry is sort of renowned for. But if you're looking for a derby horse, I think you'd probably have to say that a big overstep's vital. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you touched on uh, buying horses from overseas. It's it's quite a popular thing now in Australia in the staying ranks. Um, and having had experience with that in the past, what's, what are you uh, looking for when you're going to buy these horses from uh, the UK or Europe to bring over to Australia? And what's that process look like? Uh, well, it sort of starts with uh, identifying horses in a rating range that suits your particular order. Like you could, It could vary from someone wanting to spend a lot of money to knowing that they're going to have a runner in the Melbourne Cup as long as the horse arrives, all things safe and sound, uh, or trying to identify a horse that's on the way up. Uh, I would suggest that one of the things that I've learned about it is that pedigree can be a bit more important than it is given credit for. Certain breeds of horses tend to cope to it with Australian racing, even as imports better than others. Um you know, sort of Tiafilo and Monson were examples of stains that uh, did really well in, in Melbourne Cups and so forth. So, um, but first thing up there is so many horses owned by the Sheiks um, is to find horses you can actually buy. <laughs> A lot of them aren't for sale. Um, and, and you know, they've obviously got their own purposes that, you know, they want to keep horses in work up there, be they to make broodmares up there as well so um, just identifying that and and looking for horses that run in similar patterns to the way that Australian horses do with a good turn of foot um, uh, our staying races aren't necessarily long sustained tests of stamina they're a lot of sit and sprint races in Australia so you need a horse that can quicken uh, and do it effectively at the end of uh, the end of a bit of a journey yeah, so um, we'll talk about, I suppose, some of the successes that you've had in the past. I mean, you've had been involved in Group 1 winners. Uh, recent years, you've had Delphi and Steinem, and you're also very close to, to winning a Melbourne Cup. Um, so I suppose, what are the horses that, you, you know, you've been involved with that you're really proud of? Um, I suppose, like, there's a plethora. Of, I've, I've been working with Darren Dance in Australian Thoroughbred Bloodstock for over a decade, so... To single too many out would be uh, remission because sometimes it's not always just you know the biggest victories. It might be a horse that you've bought that needs to do a certain job, you know, win a listed race or to secure a spot as a broodmare or whatever it may be. But I don't know, like the Melbourne Cup's what we all grew up with, so running that close was was um oh, well, it's sort of it was amazing on one hand and disappointing on the other, but. Um, the whole that experience of, of watching that race was something I'll never forget. It was kind of a blur because he 
he got a wide barrier and and um Joe Marrero was able to find a spot on the rail like seamlessly somehow. And I suppose that's why he's called the magic man. Magic man. Um <laughs> And then going out of the straight, we knew how good his work had been on the Saturday. So, uh, like at the as they left the straight, like we already knew that he was going to run top three, <laughs> and it was just a yeah. matter of uh, where. Um, subsequently, speaking to Nick Williams, he knew his was going to run top three as well. So, um, his was uh, he ran about ten centimeters better, but um, yeah, it was just surreal, just sort of waiting for them to get around and then sprint and see what happened. Like, so mm. it was certainly an unforgettable day. But as I said, like just some of the jobs where you identify a, a mare who may even be a maiden, but she's got a good family and you can, you know, put her in the right position to win in the city or um, obviously with much help from the trainers um, and, and jockeys and all the staff that go along with it. But sort of making a plan and, and seeing it out is as exciting as sometimes as, um, winning those big races, although they certainly help, uh, and there are, uh, it's uh, those big ones are certainly reward for a, a lot of hard work for a lot of other things that you know don't sort of get to that level, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that that feeling come down the straight uh, on early November, and you got a horse in the Melbourne Cup that might win, and it'd just be extraordinary feeling. Um, so obviously, we're heading into that time of the year. Uh, the spring carnival so you involved I suppose in any horses that we should be looking out for in terms of internationals we're a bit light handed this year we sort of identified a horse that um, that we thought was a real legitimate Melbourne Cup horse and uh, he's not going to make it up over due to some betting issues um, but I'll be interested to see how fast Dynam can go um, this prep I think you know, she ran last the other day, but if there's if there was a good last to be ran, that was it. Um, and she's she's meeting some tough crowd early and racing against the best early in the prep. But maybe when she gets to her own sex, um, she might uh, be one to look out for during Cup Week. Uh, there's some younger horses coming through. There's a, a horse that I bought that's trained by Peter and Paul Snowden called Queen of Dragons that I was sort of in love with from the time I saw her. So. Uh, she looks to be stakes quality. Um, and, yeah, like, hopefully there's some that we're not too uh, – aren't that exposed that, that bob up and um, can contribute to a to a good carnival for us and um, and my clients. And uh, it does happen from time to time. The, the ones that you least expect to be doing much. Uh, I remember La Passe winning the Tristar. Well, it wasn't quite uh, what we thought would happen, but a, a great bonus. And it's just – able to back it up uh, and and do it again so they do come from nowhere sometimes and uh, hopefully that's the case with a few that i haven't sort of specifically identified there this year but uh Steinem will probably be a, a highlight horse and um we'll wait and see what happens with the others yeah she definitely looks like she can make an impact um this spring uh we'll move on to some quick five questions chris um, no worries, Andy. We'll start off. If you weren't in racing, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, I might be in finance, but I'd love to be a curator at the MCG. <laughs> uh, no, I, don't, I don't have a green thumb. I think I'd just like to get free cricket tickets, probably. <laughs> um, 
Second question: What's your favourite uh, horse? That's uh, oh, you're guessing your favourite all-time horse. Uh, Frankel's was my all-time favourite. I was lucky enough to see him run uh, four times, maybe five times live. And, um, I just thought he was amazing. Um, and the sort of pinnacle, it's sort of everything that's aspirational about the industry. He was by Galileo, he was out of Danehill Mare, he was trained by Sir Henry Cecil, undefeated, fast. Uh, I loved him so much, I named a dog after him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Were you lucky to see his uh, Queen Anne romp at Ascot? I was. Um, that was an amazing week. It was the same week that Black Caviar sort of finished out the week. So uh, it was uh, It was really – and So You Think won that week too. So it was It was a, an amazing week at the races. Yeah, it would have been awesome. Well, next question. What race would you most like to win during your career? Um, I suppose I, I look. It's been a, a task that I've had to go at a few times and ran second and third, being the Melbourne Cup. Um, so I'd certainly like to tick that box. I'd be very keen to have a share in a cult that won a golden slipper, um, because obviously the uh, stud value would be astronomical, and at that point I might be able to buy horses for myself rather than other people. <laughs> um. Speaking of stud, if, if you had a mare, obviously depending on what it's by, uh, what stallion would you send it to? Uh, it's a tough question. Um, well, if uh, if I had the money um, and I was going to race the progeny, um, once again, Frankel comes up because his black type strike rate is amazing. But if I was to limit it to Australia, um, okay. I I probably this season. Um, I would probably go to Snitzel just because he has fewer years remaining in his career than Vinny does. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Frank was a bit of a bargain around what three hundred thousand at the moment. Uh yeah, he's about that, um, and he's a bit more if you want to breed them Northern Hemisphere time. So, <laughs> yeah, you would uh, you know. I suppose you pay for what you get in this game. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what's your favourite racetrack that you've been to uh, um, in the world? That's a good question. I actually, uh, my favourite race day that I've been to is the Prix de Triomphe day. Um, it's amazing racing. It's Paris. It's it's a great race course. It's got great restaurants. Um, the people, big crowd, the whole lot. Um, at the same time, it's pretty hard to go against Flemington, isn't it, when you're an Aussie? Yeah, yeah, nothing better than the uh, spring carnival at Flemington. Yeah, not very much so. I've seen your your dad and your uncle at work there a few times, so <laughs> I'm sure it won't be long until you're there, mate. <laughs> um, you, you kind of answered it earlier. What's, what's your favourite sport outside of cricket? Uh, well, I do love the cricket. I'm a bit of a tragic, unfortunately. Uh, and unfortunately, I was no good at it either. Uh, but uh, as you know, I went to Lords this year and um, I'll try and get to as many tests as I can. Boxing Day can be a bit trickier that time of year with Magic Millions just uh, around the corner. But I can normally get down for one day or get to the Gabba or I went to Perth a few years ago. So... Um, 
cricket and specifically test cricket uh, would have to be my favourite sport by a mile, I would say. Yeah, love it. Um, and finally, who, who is your favourite all-time sportsman? Um, it'd be hard to go past Warney. Uh, you know, that's a cricket tragic and a Victorian, uh, despite me living in Queensland. Um, it'd be hard to go past Warney. Um, but uh, I'm a bit of an Essendon fan, so James Heard was was up there for a long time too. Yeah, love it. Well, uh, Chris, that's all we've got time for today, mate. We really appreciate you uh, joining us on the podcast as our very no special guest. Well, I uh, hope it all goes well, boys, and thanks for having me on. Um, and uh, I look forward to... Uh, to seeing this, uh, this podcast rise up the charts steadily and, and to the number one sporting cast in the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's hope so. You. Let's hope so. You'll Thank be able to say you were there from the start. Yeah, we're a few Geelong boys getting together and sorting each other out, eh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Chris. Have a good one. Good, good on you, boys. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.